Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Practicology Podcast where we are putting biblical theology into practice because the Bible belongs not only beside the stack of commentaries but also next to your pile of dirty dishes. And we will hear today that biblical theology belongs in our workplace as well. My regular co-host, Mike Knox, while in one sense I know you feel he is irreplaceable, he's taken a break for this episode and I am joined by a special guest, Lloyd Kane, an elder in my local church and he also happens to be my father. So Dad is going to talk with us today about a theology of work. Our title is The Diligent Disciple in the Workplace. This is part one of two episodes in which we'll be discussing Christian and his work. Thanks for joining us today, Dad. Can you tell me a little bit about your approach for this subject today? The thing we want to look at today, first of all, is the pattern for work. And then we'll look at the principles for work as found in the book of Proverbs. The third thing we uh, look at are the perils associated with the workplace. And the fourth thing will be the promise that's given to the worker, the promise of reward to him. That sounds good, but I wonder if we have some listeners who have had a rough day in the office or their equipment is breaking down and their mind is going to the words of Genesis 3, the words of the curse, cursed is the ground for your sake, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. And maybe they're wondering, is this thing called work just a result of the fall? Well, let's look at two passages then from the book of Genesis. And the first one we look at is Genesis 2.15, where it says, The Lord uh, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it, or to dress it and to keep it. So work was part of the divine plan prior to the fall. And Adam was placed in the garden, like we say, to dress it and to keep it. So that'll tell us something about the nature of man. Man was designed to be productive. He was designed to achieve, and Adam was to do that in the workplace prior to the fall. Now, when we read the verses you quoted from Genesis 3, 17 to 19, we'll find out that because of the fall, that the earth would bring thorns, would bring forth thorns and thistles, and in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. So work was not a consequence of the fall. But the consequence of the fall was this, that now work was associated, that sweat rather, was associated with the work. Work became difficult because of the fall. All right, that's a good point, fair point. Can we take from that also then that we will be working in paradise and the kingdom in the future? We, we can. Uh, that's, that's man's purpose. And that will not change. God's purposes for man will not change. We will forever be serving in some capacity, but the service in the kingdom and afterwards is going to be service that is that of a of devoted disciples, and we'll be doing it because we want to do it, and we want to do this to the Lord. It will not be associated with sweat and the arduous aspects of work that we've read about in Genesis 3. All right, sounds like it will smell a lot better then. All right, keep going with your first point, please. Okay, when it comes to the pattern for work, it's interesting that we take the example of the Lord Jesus. He dignified our service to God in the workplace that we read concerning him in Matthew 13. They asked the question, is this not the carpenter's son? But it's interesting that when we get to the gospel of the perfect servant, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3 to 4, they do not ask the question, is this not the carpenter's son? But they say, is this not the carpenter? So the Lord Jesus was known for his being the carpenter. And it's interesting that he adds this dignity to the workplace. The one who had made the worlds 
as part of his eternal service, has taken the so much lower place of making things with his hands. That tells us that the Lord Jesus dignified the workplace. Now, he's left as a pattern. First uh, Peter two twenty one. he's left as a pattern that we should follow in his steps. But one of the aspects of that pattern is that the Lord Jesus, for a number of years, was known as the carpenter. So we should work happily. Now, a second example of the dignity that's associated with work is the fact that the Apostle Paul dignified work. And when he was addressing the Ephesian elders in the message from Miletus, Paul said these great words. He said, these hands have ministered unto me and to the needs of those that are with me. So he showed the Ephesian elders, when he held up his hands and showed them and said, this is what these hands do. Paul, like the Lord Jesus, was dignifying work. And of course, he said in connection with that, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, Paul also tells us, uh, for example, in Colossians, uh, he says, bond servants or slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Now, notice verse 23, Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So the Christian in the workplace can take up this topic of a dignified workplace and Ephesian, the Ephesian passage says, bond servants be obedient to those that are your masters, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So when I go into the workplace in the morning, and when I'm there toiling during the day, I should not regret the fact that I'm there, but I should, my attitude should be this, I am here and I'm doing the will of God while I'm here. So a, dignity, a dignified part to work by the Lord Jesus, dignified by the Apostle Paul, and dignified in the writings of the Apostle Paul. A couple of other things we should note that Paul said, for example, in 1 Timothy 5 and 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than a non-believer. So the Christian has a responsibility to feed his or her family. And in Titus, let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. I should work so that I can share. And in 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if any man will not work, neither will he eat. So that's really the pattern for work that's been established by the Lord Jesus and by the Apostle Paul. All right, that's great. You've made that very clear. I, I really like that point that we're following in the footsteps of the master. When we go to work, we were created to work. It's part of our responsibility unto the Lord. All right, what's your second point for us? Now, the second point is we're going to go to the wisest of men other than the Lord Jesus. We're going to go to Solomon and look at all the things that he said. There are so many topics that are repeated in the book of Proverbs, but one of those is the commercial life of the believer. And so we're looking, our second point is the principles in Proverbs messages from the wise king. And it's interesting that Solomon said, for example, in Proverbs 6, go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? 
when will you rise from your sleep? So Solomon said, get up, get out, and go to work. Now jump again to chapter chapter 12 and verse 11. He who tills his land, here is the promise from the creator. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. Now, Proverbs 14, 23, here's a great principle from the scriptures. In all labor, there is profit. We should keep that in mind when we go to work today, tomorrow. In all labor, there's profit. But idle chatter leads only to poverty. Now, I'm going to do a paraphrase on that verse. Honest, intelligent labor is always rewarded. That's a paraphrase of this expression, in all labor there's profit. So we should remember that there's a principle in creation. Honest, intelligent labor will always be rewarded. That particular scripture that you just referenced in Proverbs 14, 23 is also well ingrained in my mind, because back in the day when setting your own screensaver was a big thing, I think I remember you setting that text as a scrolling text across your screen must have been a helpful motivator in the morning. And when I would walk by your desk, I would often see those words, in all labor, there is profit. That must have been a reminder you felt you needed on a regular basis. That was an expression that we used in every piece of material that went out to to a sales force was this one, that an honest, honest intelligent labor, uh, it will always be rewarded. So that's a great principle in the Bible. Just to hear, here's another question. The desire of the lazy man kills him but for his hands refuse to labor. So I need to have desire, but I need to follow that up with a disciplined approach to work. Now, Proverbs 24 and 30, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns. Contrast that with with Genesis 2 on the admonition given to uh, Adam to dress it and to keep it. But here we have the expression, it was overgrown with thorns, its surface was covered with nettles, its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well, I looked on it and received instruction. I guess if you had to summarize the words of Solomon in one word, it would be this, it would be diligence. Work hard, do not be lazy, it's a bad habit for a Christian. We should be highly motivated in the workplace because as Paul has said, when we're there, we're doing the will of God and hopefully from the heart. Okay. So uh, if I take this message from the Proverbs, I'm getting the point. I, I should maybe uh, be willing to work overtime. Should I take all the overtime that's that's offered me? Should I Should I take an extra job maybe? Should I really be focused on nonstop promotions and success in my workplace. And uh, there's a lot more food I could gather. There's a lot more money I could make. It sounds like there could be some risk in that message as well. Well, that kind of gives me a segue into the third point, which is the perils of the workplace. And Solomon deals with one peril in the workplace, and that's the peril of working too little and not working hard enough. There's another peril in the workplace that we should look at, and it's not the peril of doing too little, but the peril of doing too much. Are you running a business or are you being run by a business? Man has been designed to achieve, but there's the danger of overachieving. I want you to consider the parable. We're going to make an application from Matthew 25, 14 to 25, the parable of the 
talents. Now, talents were a piece of money. Uh, the, the word ability is used there in the context, but the talent was a piece of Roman money. And one person was given one talent, one was given five, one was given 10, and they were expected to multiply these talents. And the amount that they were given, verse 15 says, according to their own ability. So one person only got one, that was consistent with his ability. One got five, consistent with his ability, and one got 10, he had more ability. But the talent was a piece of money. Now, notice the, the, what the person said who got just the one talent. And when it's all over, he, had, had, he, he that had received the one talent, he came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours, hiding your talent in the ground. That's a great danger today in the workplace. It's the peril of burying all my abilities that God has given me and putting them all into the workplace. And I'm burying my abilities in the ground, in the earth, and putting everything into the world and forgetting that I have other responsibilities as a Christian. I have responsibilities in the local church. So there's the danger of not being balanced, the danger of doing too little in Proverbs, the danger of doing too much, where I have no time left in my life for the things of God. Now, there's a second peril that I want to touch on here in the workplace, and it's related to this first one, but it's what we call the Walmartization of the North American economy. Did you get that? It's connected with Walmart. And if you were to define that term as to what Walmart has done, it's the deliberate restructuring of corporations to benefit the wealthy owners and stockholders while cheating the workers out of a living wage and benefits. In other words, the consequence of that is this. In our current North American setting, in so many situations, I may have to work very hard in order to feed my family because of this Walmartization. And that's not just Walmart. That's everybody, all economies, all companies saying, well, we have to compete with each other. So we're all going to cheat the workplace and we're going to create the peril of pressure where I have to work too much, creating plenty of resentment and a widening gap between the haves and the have-nots. So we live in that society where governments and corporations are able to put more pressure on us uh, because everybody else is doing it. It's an example of that, that, uh, that tendency now to encourage people or to push people into a casual or a part-time position instead of full-time position with the benefits that may come with that. That's, that's part of the plan, you see, is to keep people working hard long enough until they just qualify, get ready to qualify for the benefits and then they get laid off or to keep them working too few hours. And so it means that in some cases, people do have to work two jobs in order to survive or look at a third job. That, that's one of the pressures that are there. And that may be a situation in which often we find ourselves and that's regrettable, but we have to find a way if we can, where we're not constantly putting everything, all our energies 
into the workplace and having no energy left for home. A related question is this, is should you retire? You know, if you're working too hard, should you retire? The answer is likely yes, although there's no provision for retirement in the Bible, is there? That's a concept that that, that you don't come across in the Bible, except in Luke 12, where the rich man said, I will take my ease and so on. Uh, th- he's the only example of retirement that I'm aware of in the Bible. But he- here's a, an interesting question for believers. Should you retire while you still have brain cells and some energy? And the answer is yes, if you're going to put that energy and those abilities into the local church, for example, not to retire so you can play golf, that's not a provision in the scriptures, but a retirement so that you can put your energies into the things of God while you still have them. So don't wait until you're 95 to retire. So there has to be a balance. And if you look at what's happening in local churches today, where local brethren are doing the teaching and doing all the work uh, within the assembly, and yet they're in their home, they're dealing with the Walmartization of the economy, and there's so many pressures from work, and they wonder, do I have any time for the local church. And that's why it's so important for people that are able to retire and to get a little bit more time to put that time into the local church. Do not wait for this imaginary place called Someday Isle. Someday I'll do this. Someday I'll have more time. Someday I'll do all the visitation that I should be doing now. And I'm living in Someday Isle. Don't wait until you retire. Because if you don't do it now, you clearly will not do it when you retire, when energies are less and you want to play golf and so on or whatever it is that you that you want to play. So don't wait for someday aisle. All right. So golf's taking a bit of a hit today. What about what about pickleball? Is pickleball <laughs> acceptable? <laughs> Uh, there are some of us that have an interest in pickleball. It's uh, it's a, many young people are doing that now too, but it, it's a little slower than tennis and not quite as much energy is required and you'll have some left at the end of the day and you can still have a good time out there playing with, with seniors. So uh, anyway, I'm not opposed to golf, but I am opposed to coming to a point where I say, I've got all this time and it's my time. It's not my time because the principle in the Bible is that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price and we are to glorify God in our bodies. So as you reflect on a few decades of Christian testimony, do you think the greater risk is too much laziness, a failure to understand that we were made to work or is the greater risk Uh, people giving themselves to the workplace too much, or is it just different people face different temptations? I, I would say a greater danger is likely the danger not of doing too little, but the danger of doing too much. And we're built, we're in a society where all we see around us is materialism and commercialization, and we get caught up in the system, and we jump on the treadmill, and we don't even know we're on it, and we don't therefore know how to get off it because we don't recognize this is what we're doing. And our innate desires to achieve are measured by our achievements in the workplace, and we set our objectives there when we should be setting our objectives 
can I fulfill the purposes that God has made for me upon the earth? And it's not just to build a bigger house and to have a a bigger car and all the other things that go with that. Uh, The Christian needs to have some balance in his life and he needs to remember that he's here for a purpose. I'm not living to myself. I have church responsibilities and uh, and family responsibilities, and it's not just the case in the workplace. And I do know personally that it's very easy to get caught up in that system and where you can't get off because you don't even know you're on. All right, that's a good way to present the balance. You've got one more point to teach us, so go for it. The final point I want to make, and I'm just going to quote a work. There's a, a verse. There's the promise to the worker, and that promise is Revelation 14 and 13. I heard a voice out of the heaven saying, "Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their works follow them." So there is a promise of rest, and that promises not associated with your reaching the ripe old age of 60 or 65, but that's an eternal promise. So the Christian is to work. When you go to the workplace, that you say, I'm here, I'm doing the will of God. I'm laboring and doing it as unto the Lord. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay. Thank you for listening. And hopefully you can check out some of the verses and uh, see these principles associated with the workplace. And thank you everybody for listening to another episode of the Practicology Podcast. You can reach out to us via email at info at practicologypodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at M&M's podcast. Remember that this was part one of two on a theology of work. Mike Knox is going to give us some further teaching on the Christian in the workplace in the next episode. We hope you'll join for that. And you can subscribe through our website or through various uh, podcast distribution channels, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. And we welcome you to subscribe and get notified of future episodes. Thanks for being with us today. We hope you have a great day, everyone.